0: Berlin is, as maybe I have heard, is like his, we say that it is poor but sexy, which is great for creating art. Is not that great as a slogan to sell art. <laughs> so it's not like Berlin really has a massive group of collectors, just like London or New York. And is is now really a destination for buying art in a fair?
1: Well, and this is what this is what I started learning. Like I had no idea. I, I'm a foreigner. I'm from America. I've lived in Middle East. I now live in Prague, and everybody keeps talking about Berlin, Berlin, Berlin. Oh, you need to go exhibit in Berlin. Oh, you need your market can be in Berlin. Blah blah blah. And now that I'm here in Berlin, everybody keeps going. Yeah, Berlin is not anybody's market. <laughs> it, it, it's great for producing art. So it's yes. fabulous to be an artist here. There are lots of great opportunities for exhibiting here, but there's very, very little financial support beyond government grants and residencies and things like that as far as actual sales. This is not as robust a market as London, Paris, etc.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That is very true. Yeah, but then you can produce. For producing art, it is amazing because you're still in a big city. There's the excitement of it. Um, but this is even a complaint from local galleries. Uh, recently, Johann Kunisch from the Kunisch Gallery, mm. he published an interview with I think it was Die Welt. It was about two three months ago, and one of his big comments was that the taxes are so high not so high, but they are higher than in New York. So an artist that he represents that has a studio here, collectors might be buying New York, you know. And he's i like, heard this, yeah, yeah, and he's like. Why? Why? Uh, that's not how it's supposed to be like. So the artist is in Berlin, my my gallery's here, but for the collector, it's cheaper to buy in New York. Yeah. So.
1: Well, I've even heard that even around the EU as well, like Switzerland and there's a particular one like Art Basel, mm-hmm. no taxes there. So people would generally sort of wait or prepare to buy when they're at some Basel art fair kind of thing rather than buying at their local gallery.
0: Yes. Yeah. I don't but, know. Yeah, but then you have to be aware that the kind of work that you're going to find is very different.
1: Well, also there's it seems there's like in in um, uh, transport taxes or some sort of tax that's paid for for, for, put, for bringing work into Switzerland.
0: Okay. And, okay, yes. And then if you sell the work, you might recover. Yeah, some sort of fee that
1: you like, yeah, I don't know anything about this stuff. And I assume you don't either because you're not a
0: gallery. No, I'm not a gallerist. But sometimes when I create, like right now, I'm working a show. And, yeah, so that I'm helping with the transport as well. Because at the same time, as well, it's it's great. No one wants to, in the art world, we all want to talk about their work. And then when you think about transport and taxis, it's quite boring. No one wants to talk about it. Oh, no, uh, I don't want to talk about that. I mean, seriously.
1: I mean, that's the point of the podcast, is mm-hmm. to talk about the things that people don't talk about. Okay, cool. That's what I want to talk about. We can talk about your your philosophy and wax on poetically all you want, but that, that's not really what I want to learn or know or understand. Because that's the stuff, quite honestly... You can do an interview with any magazine and they'll ask you these beautiful, poetic, sort of like, mm. oh, what's your inspiration? How do you do all this other stuff? This podcast, the idea of this is basically, I'm from America. I was born and raised there, trained there. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to the Middle East and sort of, the, so I learned the different markets. And then I came to, to Europe and I, and, I, and I thought, I was like, great, okay, I understand how the markets work. I know two continents. This is a third continent. I should be able to do this well. And yeah. I got here and I realized, I know nothing (laughs) the market is completely now. I don't know if it's my fault because like the more I've been doing this podcast I started learning I went into academia so I was I'm a professor and I think by me moving myself out of the actual industry Mm -hmm. I lost touch with all the changes and the growth and the evolution of the market and I have absolutely no idea how it works now I knew how it did work 30 years ago when I was trained sure but it's so different now. Social media, like, I mean, even just the interconnectedness of the EU and the VATs and all the you know, insurance and all these kinds of things that people didn't talk about even 20 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also the magnitude of the market has changed. It has. Um, there's so much money in it. And there's also so many different tiers in the art world. Because if you think about the art world, that's the blue chip top-notch auction houses world.
1: And that's what everybody reads in the news and all this. Yeah. This this is what what everybody thinks the art world is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which is not. It's just like the point of the iceberg, really. There's a lot of things interesting happening all the way down. But of course, it is very hard to grasp or hard to put everything in a box. Because it's the same as saying, oh, what's the market for marble? The market for marble, you know, it's probably, even though it's a very simple thing to point out marble, but if you think about Italy, is different from the US, that is different from Brazil. It, I just mentioned marble because for example, um, my partner, he, has, he he's an interior designer in Italy. And he had yeah. a client who told me, oh, I want like uh, polished cement all over my bathroom. And he said, oh, actually here, it is more expensive to have that and to have everything marble. Because the quarries are all around there. Interesting. And for the cement work, you have to bring a guy from Milan because it is in the south of Italy. Right. And suddenly, something that is so like, oh, of course, marble is, is going to be more expensive than cement Right. anywhere. But then when you start going into the details and location as well, that's changed. Yeah. It's not. So if, if it's like that for marble, imagine for art.
1: Well, but is it like that for art? I mean, with the internet and all the sort of connectedness of stuff, like, can prices still vary, or or do they? Is there sort of a necessity to be standardized
0: because of the worldwide global nature of it all? No, I don't think it's about being uh, becoming a standard. It's more about being a shared culture and artists. In my opinion, artists that can somehow touch on cultural points that are. They are universal, or they can give messages that can be easily translated across the world. Maybe they have the chance to speak um, not only to a broader audience, but also develop story, like bring narratives that are interesting across cultures. Yeah, but there is always ways to, you know, you can keep going back and forth. But when we think about the high mark, like. The high end of the market when Christie's were when they were selling offering the Salvador Mm Mundi, they didn't use the word Christ and they only described as the male Mona Lisa. And that was because they were aiming for an audience that maybe is not Christian, doesn't is not that iconography does not directly speak to them, so they decided
1: and the people with the most money.
0: Yeah, maybe like they're targeting for international audience because mm-hmm. when you think about that kind of work, you only have about like 100 people really mm-hmm. that would maybe bid. But then, so it's interesting, right? That's something that is so clearly, like from a Western perspective, such a clear way to describe the work, like Christ. They decided not to go through that route at all.
1: Hmm. Um, it's, a, it's all the little games we play.
0: Well, yes, yeah. Or And then we can say that or at the same time finding what is shared between all mm. cultures and saying that code art uh, being like a new religion almost, then you can say, it's funny that the male Mona Lisa is more powerful the Christ, than Christ or <laughs> is a better selling point.
1: Well, yeah, it's got that commonality, out- or at least has the opportunity to be more approachable by a wider range of people if you get rid of a, a, some sort of a charged word a kind of like thing like Christ kind of thing mm-hmm. because I mean it, it would be the same thing if somebody said I don't know another big religion Buddha like mm-hmm. they, they called it the you know the, the, the male Buddha kind of thing but I mean it, it would just have that again it's sort of stigma to it b- both positive for some people and negative for another other people
0: yeah or just like if not negative but then you don't connect directly to it but then as a contrast just so i don't forget yeah uh there is uh so just recently uh, i don't know if you have if you made it to the julie stasha collection here in berlin but she's presented this artist which is called wang shui and is a collective but they don't they don't open up how many they are where they're from um it's just the name of it so there's no date of foundation because even with collectives often it's so easy to find the list of the participants Mm -hmm. who is part of them but with them they don't do any of that and it's just interesting because in a way it is claiming a non-national and non like they deliberately decide that they don't want to be pointed down to a specific culture
1: well, and not even a gender or, or anything like this. I mean, any exactly. any sort of the traditional pigeonholes that we place artists in, kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay, actually, um, I want to skip back because generally I started the podcast, which we didn't do this this time. But uh, please pronounce your name correctly for me.
0: Uh, well, I'll pronounce my name Bruno Silva, but Bruno. Bruno is quite is a easy name. Like it's quite international, so I'm happy with any kind of bruno in italy or uh, bruno in france so bruno in germany
1: Bruno, okay yeah. and we're and so uh, i often will ask a lot about like a little well not a, lot, a little bit about backgrounds because mm-hmm. i'm always interested how do people come to the arts because it's not your standard life choices basically to go <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be an artist or work in the arts so Family, did, were, were, was your parents and siblings, or was it a teacher that got you to the arts or some life experience? Like, how did you end up sort of coming down this path?
0: Yeah, so the romantic story um, is that when I was seven, I was in school and we were looking through a Caravaggio book. And my teacher told me, oh, you have to imagine that these paintings, they're basically life-sized. And I, in that moment, I was like, okay, so I shouldn't be looking in the book. I want to be in the museum. I want to see it. And that for me was a moment where I decided not only to work in the arts but also to at some point visit Europe or maybe even leave yeah, Europe. Where were you? Were you were, oh yeah. I, I was born and raised in São Paulo, Brazil.
1: Oh, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, and I moved to Germany seven years ago. All right.
1: And you're how old?
0: I'm thirty three. Okay. So yeah, so that was that's a romantic story. And <laughs> very romantic. <laughs> um and then when I was going to, to university I wanted to study sociology. But then my parents were they were just concerned about career options i understand yeah and then i did i said economics but economics of culture institutions Hmm. and i wrote about my thesis was about positive externalities of museums and and how If you don't wear socks you are fine if all um all socks producers close because you don't use socks and you don't wear socks anyway Mm -hmm. but museums they are different even if you don't go to a museum you still feel that museums are important they play important part on our culture and that's because of positive externalities and which is something very hard to grasp in economics because something Pronounce that again. P- positive, positive externalities. Externalities. I'm I mean, sure that would be... I've never heard that tra- f- phrase before. I mean, maybe in English, there's other terms for it. That's like a straight up translation from Portuguese. But yeah, it's positives, externalities. I, I can double check and let you know. It's fine.
1: I'm sure somebody will double check. Some <laughs> and they'll be sure to tell me.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but the idea of it, it is you recognizing that something has a positive impact in society. Mm-hmm. For example, having a park. You know, mm-hmm. instead of having another building.
1: But not only that, but it, but it has a positive impact on society, even if you don't like it. Exactly. Or engage with it or use it or whatever it is. Like, exactly. I mean, I can sit here and say like, oh, yeah, I love all the little pocket parks, like little neighborhood parks all around Berlin. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not, I have not gone and sat in any of these little pocket parks throughout Berlin, but I, I appreciate that they're there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that exactly. that's That's the idea.
1: Yeah. I've never heard anybody say museums. We don't need them. I've heard people no. say museums. We shouldn't give them so much money, but but nobody says I don't think they should be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Or and there are people who they might not even go to museums, but right. they still recognize the importance of them. Absolutely. So that was when I studied, and then after that, I moved to moved to Europe, and since then, so I came to Berlin working with other things, um, and then after three years, I decided to go to London. To study art history, and did my masters also in art business. All of it. That's with, good. Yeah, uh, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, that that was all at Sotheby's Institute.
1: Interesting. You're the second person I've spoken to who actually took some classes there. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. I they offer like a full, full range of courses. I was there for two years uh, with the masters in the art history, which was really great. I mean, London is a wonderful place to to learn about art and contemporary art absolutely and since then and then i came back to to berlin yeah
1: so okay so with all this training and all this background why why out of all the potential things within the art world did you choose curator
0: well i am a creator and art consultant
1: define art consultant
0: exactly um i just help people buy art that's the easiest uh, definition Right. and basically as an art consultant i have i help collectors to not only understand maybe what they collect and help them buy them what they want, mm-hmm. but contextualizing their collection within a broader art world mm-hmm. and showing them other works that they might be interested in. And overall, educa- So there's education is a big part of it, and also prices. So how much, is, is this a good price for this kind of work? Yes or no, or Maybe you have something that is in the range of 50,000, but then you want something that is a little bit smaller, but it still has a narrative. Mm-hmm. Is it still part of, of the same body of work, but the same feeling to it, if you like? And and you, I just help them to navigate like this details of the art okay
1: world. I'm fascinated by this because like, it, to me you're this sort of random unicorn you, because <laughs> what well, like well like a gallerist I can go to a gallery and I can see hey a gallerist is the person sitting behind that table right there yeah. I can see um, an artist I can go to a studio they have the person in the studio making that's an artist you all these consultant curators you you blend in you're camouflaged like we can't (laughs) pick you out of a crowd (laughs) yeah yeah. so 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 like to be able to find one of you all and be able to say like actually ask you questions it's incredibly difficult because we don't know how to get find you a lot of times because you they're not there's not like a database i mean there are some databases but they're not like it's not a It's not as obvious, let's say. You all are Mm. a little bit more behind the scenes, uh, much like collectors. Collectors are very hard to get in touch with because a lot of them, quite honestly, don't want people to know they collect. Sure. So you're in that same realm. To me, as a, as a <laughs> professor and as an artist, you're this like camouflaged person that could be wandering around the streets and we never know who you are.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and and as, a, as an art consultant and as a creator, I like working with young artists because I find that, you know, if you look back in art history, everyone that made the mark was because they were working with their contemporaries and creating networks. And as our consultant, I'm working with such a high point of the market that mm. I don't really have the chance to engage deeply with the artists. All right, so
1: my big question, how do you find, so at, at both um, for both of these roles, so like curator, how do you find new, young, quality artists? As a consultant, I'm probably more interested in how do you find
0: clients? Well, that's that, that's, <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, I mean, it's it's a tough one. Still, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely, it's not that easy. Okay, so as a curator, I find artists really through friends and friends of friends. And I do visit some project spaces, but to be very honest with you, the most artists that I work with are artists that somehow we create a kind of friendship right? or they have come through like a friend. So if I'm creating a group show, so for example, I just did a show that was only video art and then we had 23 artists, which was great, was like the biggest show. That I ever put together, and some of them did come from friends. So once I would share, okay, this is the show that I'm doing, working on, this is the proposal, and they will tell me, okay,
1: and and I love that, but and this is the the this is the issue I have. Okay, keep in mind, I'm a professor, I run a podcast, I do all these things but I'm also a practicing artist, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting in my studio. I'm making some work. I think it's really good. I go out and I see an exhibition. So let's say I make video art, which I don't, but let's say I make video art, and then I show up and I see your, ex- your exhibition that you have curated, and it's all these video artists, and I'm like, why didn't you choose me? Mm. How How can people get in front of the curators to participate in these exhibitions? Because it feels like it's this little sort of almost like a, a Venn diagram, like a sort of a closed loop of you and your friends. But how how can somebody who's not in that group sort of get into that group?
0: I mean, but it's it's hard, isn't it? Because for example, for this one, I did it is share hard. on my social media and I said, okay, this is a very soft open call because I'm not gonna do open call for a show that has very little funding and the artists are not being paid. So I wouldn't reach out to an artist that I think that is very talented that I would love to include in the show to propose a show that he's not gonna have anything out of it really. Right. I understand. Um so then when you're doing it with your friends it's just it's very easy to have that communication. Like, okay, you wanna be part of this, great. If you don't want that's fine as well. Some of them came up with like new pieces, which mm. was something that I was not expecting from them. But but then I, I did want to reach out as much as I could through, like, this soft open call. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I didn't want to do, like, oh, please send a proposal. It was just, like, write me an email, say whatever you want, send me the links. Um, very uncomplicated because no one is making tons of money with this. So let's just keep simple. And, and maybe I think that's one of the, the issues, isn't it? How would you... So yeah, I wouldn't reach out to an artist that I don't know simply because I find that I would do that if I had a budget, if I really was a more structured kind of exhibition. So as a, so answering your question, it is really through your network, but also reaching out to projects that and spaces that you think that are that are good for you, that you feel that you your work talks to. Well, which then
1: leads to the next question: like, does that actually work? Like I mean, I've had conversations with galleries, which is different than curators—very different. But galleries generally say submitting portfolios and stuff just generally doesn't work because it's no, generally no. friends and connections and recommendations and all this that really are the way that people respect you and give you the the opportunities.
0: And also CVs. That's and I'm interested
1: in that. Okay, so CVs. What when you see say, okay. <laughs> I come from academia, and Mm -hmm. in academia, they love the CVs. They're all about the CVs, but they like the big 10-page CV that lists every single thing you've ever done in your entire career. Mm -hmm. As a curator, is that what you want to see?
0: No, no, no. As a curator, when I said that, I said more about the galleries. Oh, yeah. Uh, But if I'm creating a show for a gallery, so, for example, now I'm working on an exhibition that's going to open at the end of November... And the CV, it is it is important not only, it, because it then create, becomes a dialogue, you know, what's the next step for the artist, mm-hmm. rather than, especially when it's like a middle, because I know the business of galleries is becoming more and more difficult. So for a gallery, maybe it might be interesting to show an artist that is from Brazil, and it already has a solid market there, mm-hmm. but haven't had a show in Europe. Mm-hmm rather than grabbing someone that just left university and has no history, that have have not been granted any prize or have never been in a residency. So, yeah. So that, that also comes into play.
1: So you're really looking... You are looking for like a good, strong track record of, of a history of ex- exhibiting, potentially selling, etc., that kind of stuff.
0: I can see that the gallery would look at that hmm. and also collectors... So collectors, they... Um, most of them, they are not. The, for them, the market sort of starts in the gallery. Uh, but for the gallery, they have to somehow select the artists, you right. know? and also there, there's such a, like a massive range of artists working out there. There are more active artists in New York alone than it was uh, was in Italy during the Renaissance. So, I believe that.
1: But <laughs> well, but it also I believe that people are being very liberal with the word artist these days
0: yeah well good and actually that's good and Um,
1: there and there are more mediums as well too that's another thing too mm -hmm. back then it was just pretty much sculpture marble sculpture and painting
0: yeah and I wonder I wonder if there was like a conceptual renaissance artist that just everyone ignored and then he died out and
1: and then they burned his work so we don't know about it
0: yeah um but (laughs) the
1: the heretic (laughs) yeah
0: but what was I saying? Yeah, so the of course the CV is always important because people will check who did you study with all that thing.
1: Really? Now is that important? Who you can, studied with?
0: Well, I think it can be if it is if it is relevant. If it is not you just you know move forward, but yeah,
1: like I I don't put any sort of who I studied with on my CV. But that's because my school I studied with like. There were three, actually three different sort of primary professors, and and I didn't study with any one of them. I studied with all of them, mm-hmm. so I, I couldn't put all three because that would look like I didn't actually study with any one. But I couldn't really say any one of them was super influential on me. But here in Europe, it is very important. They they very much emphasize the the lineage of your education, your sort of your mentor. Like this is a very important. Part of your CV and your training and your reputation.
0: Yeah, and if you have something there, everyone uses it. So, for example, Douglas Gordon, who is like a tremendous artist, he studied with Susan Hiller, and she actually was the one who told him to experiment with video art. Mm. It's just a you know, it's just like a nice footnote, even with an artist that is as big as Douglas Gordon. That's still quite kind of like a good entrance, like not suggestion, but it's a good. Way of talking about his work, just making that that little nod to his, his where he study, or like Sean Scully, who spent some time in New York, if I'm not wrong. So yeah, I, I think that at the end uh, all of this comes together, mm-hmm. and all of it definitely influenced somehow in the price, but also which galleries are going to represent you, or what kind of shows do you, do you uh, going to be invited to be part of.
1: Mm-hmm. What what about uh, artist statements? How do you feel about them? How important are they?
0: The artist writing about his own, I I think they can be good. um, There was a show by, there's a show up now, Kali Agibawa, and there's a text by the artist, which is nice. (laughs) Um, no no I'm sorry I don't mean like that I don't I think it's, it is a great thing to have it, it can be a great thing to have as long as there is a purpose to it well there I mean these days it's a
1: necessary evil as an artist so as a, as a producer of art we for grants for residencies and then sure. theoretically for even submitting portfolios like along with my portfolio of work or even in building your website when you build a website you have to do search engine optimization which means you need text and you need so basically you need a statement to go with it in order For search engines to even find your work and find what you do so i mean this and i mean you could even expand that into like hashtags on instagram and all these other ways that the texts are almost necessary these days yeah
0: my negativity towards it is just because i find that it's hard for an artist when you talk about your own work you are you definitely need to make a certain decision making of which themes do you want to brought it up And when is a third person writing, then that's fine because that's their view on your work. Mm. When is your, you doing it, that can be a problem. I can, I find that a little bit problematic. So imagine that you write a a statement that is all about the aesthetics of the work. Suddenly you close the whole door on maybe the politics of the work. Mm. Just because you didn't bring it up doesn't mean that it's not there. But once it's like an artist statement, it's just, I find it very conclusive almost
1: mm. okay so if i'm a practicing artist so i mean i'm just using myself as a proxy for everybody listening to this so like so somebody who's a practicing artist should i write my own artist statement or should i basically sort of get a curator to write or assist me in writing or whatever you want to phrase it uh, in a
0: statement to accompany my work i don't know it really depends also depends on the kind of work that you're showing if you we see i mean if you find and that's for everyone if you're an artist get five artists that you really admire that are active now and look at their website some of them don't even have websites i know this
1: and And some of them have websites that have no text at all like they just have their name and an email address or a name and a phone number and that's it and zero text
0: exactly and if you tell me if you ask me i mean as a young artist or an artist that is not represented yet if you tell me, should I spend time writing proposals for biennials or should I write text for my website? I will tell you, spend that time writing applications for biennials and open calls. Because you're going to get so much more out of that. You know, if you have Venice Biennale on your CV, it is better than 5,000 words on your website. Sure. Okay, that's great recommendation. But, but that's also my opinion, you know, doesn't... This entire podcast is your opinion. It's fine. <laughs> no, don't worry about it.
1: So, but but it's a good recommendation, basically. So it's like, in, if the choice was spend time, money, energy, effort, whatever, on a marketing tool like let's say social media or a website or something like that, versus putting something in that could give you sort of a leg up in your career, such as a grant, a residency, uh, or a proposal for a, an exhibition or anything like this. Really, artists should be spending more of their time on the latter.
0: Uh, I believe so, yes. Unless the first comes very naturally for you. So the Instagram thing, I find it quite impersonal and to like just the imagery of the work, but for some young artists it works really well because they're fluent in that language. It,
1: it does feel like sometimes it's a different language. I mean, I'm 46 years old, so like to me it's I'm still learning this language of how to use these social medias effectively
0: yeah but but at the same time you don't have to you know for example asia asia is i'm saying as my personal experience asia is a very important market there's great collectors there Mm -hmm. but i don't speak the language and i also don't speak the culture so i could i put the ten thousand hours in and become a specialist i could do i want to Maybe not because I'd rather sp- I already make the leap from Brazilian, South American culture to European, German, Italian, and English culture, and I might just then stay on that area because mm-hmm. if I also try to reach out too much, then you spread yourself too thin.
1: Which is another good advice, basically like don't spread yourself too thin. No, you know, yeah. I, I often tell people and my students is basically specialize, become a master in something, choose a thing and be the master of that thing.
0: Yes, definitely. And also for for artists, if you have an idea and you do your first body of work on that idea, keep doing it. Because, you know, it needs time to sink in and to mature.
1: It's funny. I I actually was talking with a consultant at one point um, in in the United States about the the career trajectory of an artist. Basically, you should not... some artists believe like you do a series, and when you're done with that series, you then basically pick up and do a completely different topic, a different thing, and you do a completely different series. But what it, what she expressed to me was is that curators, galleries, collectors, etc. are look are, even if your individual series are very unique, that they should still have a common thread through the entire career that basically shows growth and and learning of an idea or a concept over. over the span of a career instead of jumping around between idea and idea
0: i can find examples of both ways yeah sure Um, gerhard
1: richter i mean we all know these things
0: yeah or bruce nauman yeah bruce nauman is a wonderful artist because it's always a joy to see it but there are these random
1: unicorns i mean these are utterly unique people that can pull that kind of thing off i Mm -hmm. mean but that's not the norm is it to to just pick up different mediums and different ideas and work completely differently every couple years?
0: I, I think inevitably if he if you're very truthful to your own practice, it that will come through naturally. So for example, Damon Hurst. Hmm. He now just opened a show with his new mandala pieces hmm. and with the butterfly wings. Is that different from The Shark? Definitely. But it's still dealing with themes, like, you know, very universal themes of death. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, There's a
1: common thread that you can see the growth throughout the career, but it's not... Basically, what I'm saying is, like, you don't start off with working in death and then suddenly jump to working with politics and then suddenly work with religion. I mean, so, like, you you do have to have a a commonality through your career, basically. Am I wrong? I mean... The podcast is based in the whole fact that I, like, I, I believe I think, I'm wrong about no, those no, no, things. No, no,
0: I, I agree with you, but I find that this is not. That's just a natural consequence by the fact that you are an artist and you are creating all the works yourself mm. or the concepts of them. So this will inevitably come through somehow. Like I've I heard people. St- turning to me and say oh you create this show it's very colorful it's because you're brazilian like wow i am brazilian and <laughs> it is a very warm colorful country and but then a lot of people that have lived in cold countries use color so you know but inevitably people will trace those put those things together even with me as a creator mm. but i wouldn't i wouldn't say to an artist that overthink that i, I would say Think about your series. Think about new ideas, and that the rest is just a consequence. Because we have brilliant artists who found like one thing that they do really well, and they just kept doing it. Like On for example, he made his whole practice based on that one idea, hmm. and that worked.
1: But uh, but a lot of people also might fall into the trap of like if they feel like they need to be doing one idea that they don't evolve and they don't grow and they don't. Get basically what better. I mean, I guess whatever word you want to put to it, but don't, uh, yeah, grow. I mean, because you have to continue to be evolving throughout your career. You can't literally just like find something that you do really well and just to keep doing that that exact same thing your entire career. You have to,
0: unless that becomes in itself this like for with Onkawada that was his yeah, statement
1: it would be horribly ironic. Yes,
0: yeah, and but or Rachel White
1: I do not know these people. I'm, oh, okay. So, yeah, um, so it's okay, but I'm sure the listeners will know them, or they'll look them up, and they'll be mar- marvelous.
0: Yeah. So, Rachel, for example, what she does is that she casts houses inside out, basically, mm-hmm. um, and she kept doing that for like to this day, but with change of materials, change of objects. Uh, but anyway, she found her niche, and conceptually is still interesting for her. Mm-hmm. So you can see, it has to be genuine and both ways if you decide to do something completely different as well. For example, Bruce Nam is one of my favorite artists. Mm. And I love going to when he's a solo show because it doesn't feel like a solo show mm. when you have Bruce. And his editions are also wonderful works. Yeah, I, I think it, it has to be genuine. And if it is genuine, then the message will come through. But the market does love some consistency, of course. That's what I'm getting at. Well, and I, I wonder about that because
1: people say like, oh, it's becoming a global market. But I'm getting the sense through these conversations that while it, it, this is my theory that I've come up with, it is a global market. Of course, nobody can see me with doing my hand gestures here, but I'm making a really big circle. So the global market, but it's not really global. What it is, is it's a series of smaller markets, regional, local, whatever markets that are that are overlapping, like a Venn diagram. And through the overlap of the regionals, it feels big. But really, it's not like one single market. It's a series of smaller markets that just happen to overlap more than they have in the past. That's my theory.
0: Yes. Which is, it is, art is a representation of culture. And we do have now a global culture. But that's for very few. So we can say... Are we becoming global as human beings? Oh, yes. If you are rich and you have a house in Miami, one in Paris, and you are originally from Russia, you can claim that you are international. You know, once a year you fly to the Armory Show in New York, and then you go to Freeze in London, and then you made some, some time to go to Copacabana for New Year's Eve in your yacht. Are you an international person? Yes, you are. Absolutely. Is that the reality for most people? No. No, it's not.
1: No. I mean, most Americans don't even have passports. They never even left the
0: country. There you go. Uh, but then if I open a magazine, you know, what they are talking about, like those lifestyle magazines, they're mm. not going to talk about the guy who doesn't have a passport and where he goes for his coffee. They will talk about this global trotter that it is now in a yacht in, in Rio. Hmm. Yeah, so it's just not that easy. Uh, there is a global market, yes. There is global artists and global collectors, yes. Mm. But there, but we cannot foreshadow the importance of local scenes. Right. So, for example, in, I have a very good friend who also has a podcast in Copenhagen. Really?
1: Yeah. What's the podcast? Go ahead. Uh,
0: so, the podcast is called uh, Contemporary Culture Copenhagen. Okay. And my friend, Brandon, he actually started it because he had just, we studied together at Bees and then he moved to Copenhagen and he wanted to unravel the art world. Sounds familiar. And he f- decided that, oh, maybe doing a podcast is a way to get to talk to the right people, but in a casual way. So it's not too much pressure. And he just really wanted to learn. And he had been doing quite well with that. Yeah.
1: yeah. How long has it been around?
0: Uh, about two years now.
1: Okay, he's way ahead of me then. All right.
0: And uh, when did you start?
1: Six weeks ago.
0: Six weeks ago. Wow. I do wait, but yeah, okay, September. Yeah, because you have a lot of posts already.
1: I'm a busy boy.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I'm. Well, we're currently doing two a week. Okay. As far as putting them out, um, because, well, because quite honestly, I have the time and I, and I can get around to talk to people. So. Mm-hmm. I have a very, it sounds bad, but like I have a very leisurely lifestyle. I, uh, all my jobs, uh, every job I have is online. Okay. So I can easily travel. I can easily take, you know, take a a day off here and do a bunch of podcasts because I can just make up the work tomorrow because Mm -hmm. it's all online. Of course. So yeah, I have a, a bit of a unstructured life, which, which lends well to being able to do this.
0: That was great. Yeah, that was very good. But I was going to say oh yeah so Copenhagen it has a very uh, as uh, I haven't spent too much time there but as far as I understood it is very the galleries heavily relate like sell work to locals and the locals they are not particularly collectors they're not buying every all the time Mm -hmm. but they do save up and once a year they go to a show and they find something that they really love and that's their like the present to themselves, so they are collectors, mm-hmm. but in a more smaller personal scale. Interesting. Um, but the galleries they do heavily relate on these kind of purchases to carry on with the program. Or if we think about Brazil, the the market is very close, you know, because the gallery, the local galleries, represented local artists selling to local collectors.
1: Well, and I've often wondered about that because. When people talk about art markets, we hear stuff like these days. We hear Asia, Europe, America, Canada even. A little bit of Africa now is starting, but I hear nothing about South America. Mm. Like nothing on the international market. But I just don't hear the conversations going on there. I'm quite certain there is a a robust market there, but it, it doesn't feel like it's expanded as quickly or as efficiently as some of the other markets
0: um, it, Because it's a very self-contained market. Okay. And oddly enough, we don't have a lot of publications in Brazil, which is a shame mm-hmm. and, and I hope it changes in the near future. So it becomes a very closed art scene, which is basically impossible to, you know, you, you have to be there, you have to speak the language, and then you start to, to discover what's happening. Hmm. But we do have like big galleries. So, for example, Men's Wood, they are international gallery now. Or Fortes diola is also a very recognizable gallery uh, showing at Frieze, you know, all, all the big art fairs, they're they always there. Mm-hmm. And the Brazilian, especially the Brazilian art scene, um, so it's not Latin America as a whole, but in Brazil, Brazil has a very respected modern contemporary art scene because we do have the second oldest biennial in the world. Uh only Venice is older than us. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the art fair, of course, SP art is the biggest art fair in Latin America. So there there's a lot of things happening. I know <laughs> and galleries like Lee Song uh show there, uh Schneider who is a German gallery, they also show there. Mm-hmm. There David Zina they show in Sao Paulo. Okay. So they do have a, a certain like that they know that there are collections there, they know that is an interesting market. But, but, yeah, it's quite isolated, isolated if you think about the Western world.
1: Okay, good. So it's not just me. Like It's it's actually kind of true. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. All right.
1: I'm going to get back to you a little bit more about like you and your career and your job and all this. So, like, for lack of a better way of explaining it, let, let, let's sort of spell out what is a curator doing for those people who may not
0: fully grasp the nature of the profession? Mm-hmm. Well, to me, a curator is a facilitator between the artwork and the public. So the artists, they are creating these pieces that don't particularly need to, I, I hope that the artist is much more worried about creating the work rather than what's gonna be the read of the work or what people are gonna be thinking, how people will uh, engage with the, with the piece. And then the creator comes in to help the dialogue to happen or to contextualize the work with other artists, Mm -hmm. and also with ideas or philosophies or social debate that might be happening at a given moment. So I think that's my job, is to contextualize.
1: (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's a a necessary job because... A lot of artists, we sit around our studios, and and quite honestly, we're a little crazy oftentimes. We're a little off in some whatever world or thing, and and we have a very difficult time explaining our work or contextualizing it for the bigger market or any market for that matter. I mean, you know, there's so many artists that have works that they've produced, and they're just sitting in their studio, and they just never see the light of day because their person, their their personality just is not maybe social enough or... um, Eloquent enough to sort of get out and convince people or whatever to, to appreciate what they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's unfortunate, but true.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think that all artists out there just do a lot of invite a lot of people to come to your studio to do a studio visit. Well, see, and that's fascinating to me
1: because I'm I'm a I'm a oddity in this whole scenario because I was trained as a photographer. Mm-hmm. So I never understood the idea of studio visits because I was a photographer. I, you know, I had a photo studio, not a, a place where I physically produce something like a sculpture studio or a painting studio or something like this. Now, this has changed. Now that I'm here in Europe, I actually have a, a true sort of atelier where I actually am working in there, you know, constructing works and things like this. And so this idea of studio visits, this is this is something that the art it's the responsibility falls on the artist to request from a, a curator or a gallerist kind of thing so it's it's our it's our duty to and responsibility to ask for these things
0: yeah yes definitely okay great definitely because we can think and you know going back to how you get representation or how do you get connected with people it is almost like dating so you never go on a date and say look how gorgeous i am look how great it is the things that i do you always go for an exchange and also giving the person something. So if you turn to, let's say, a gallerist and say, oh, can you please give me a show? That's quite, you know, doesn't really work. Right. But if you turn to them and say, oh, I really admire your your program. I really admire artists A, B, and C that you represent. I value your opinion because I read some interviews with you. And I would love if you could come and just visit me in the studio because I really value your opinion And even if you have to schedule for three months, because I know you're very busy, I'm more than happy to do so. I just would love you to come to my studio at some point and listen to what you have to say. Hmm. And then suddenly you already, you know, in my opinion, you already put a lot of walls down and you are giving them like a huge compliment. Like your opinion matters.
1: The bottom line of what you're saying is is that artists need to take responsibility and do the research so just don't you can't just walk up even to a curator and blindly just go hi you're a curator could you put my piece in your next exhibition i mean i should do research i should look into your previous exhibitions i should read maybe some of the things that you've written to accompany exhibitions and make a decision of whether I believe you will like my work, much like a dating thing. Like I'm not going to go up to somebody who I just think like, oh, this person's going to hate me, but I'm going to talk to him anyways because they might benefit my career.
0: Yeah, or if you see someone that like, oh, I don't like what he's doing, but it's a nice gallery and a nice street. So yeah, exactly. I'd like them to show me. Yeah, I don't like you know? this
1: curator as a person, but fuck, he's really, you know, he's got it all going on and he can get me into XYZ exhibition. That's not what it is. Like That's not going to work. Yeah, you you can't, be in the art world and use people
0: no because then it's not genuine and then it's boring um i mean i think boring is so well, blunt no, of a word well, but well, but not just that but people don't appreciate it nobody well, and even... you won't appreciate it do you really want to work with a curator that you don't believe in well and as a curator do you enjoy being used <laughs> no i mean if they're paying it but <laughs> and it's a bit but, then, um, but
1: that's not being used that's a fair that's a fair relationship no and basically. also even
0: if they pay so even if it did, uh, and that's when it become, it starts to become like a, the history of yourself well, so well that
1: a, that becomes less of a relationship like you're saying like a dating thing and more of a business relationship
0: which is very different it is but in the art world everything is much more a relationship than it is business mm. so for example i have my curatorial practice and i do the things that i want to do the way that i want to do them if tomorrow an artist tells me oh i'm gonna pay you you know x amount to create a show for me but then i look at the i don't like the work i cannot do it because then even if i decide to do it for the money which let's face it as well we are that's very hypothetical no one has money laying around to pay no no artist has money laying around to
1: pay a curator unless they got a grant a grant could do that
0: true true but then if you're working with someone that you don't believe in, it's just not going to flow. And and then you're going to... It's sort of like almost embarrassing. Yeah, I mean... Well, it is but also, like <laughs> well. Well,
1: see, like, I go back to, like, when I was a kid and, and, and everything. My teachers used to say, your reputation is everything.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah.
1: Everything. So, I mean, you're only... I mean, obviously, there are things like they're, you're only as good as your most recent show and all those kinds of jazzes. But, like, literally, like, if you get a reputation in the art market for doing curating for pay, even when you don't actually like the artist, like your curatorial reputation
0: is going to be diminished. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And because the art market is such a, it is unregulated, reputation it is very, very important. So, in all levels, you don't wanna be an artist that is paying to have a show in a gallery. No one wants that. I've never even heard. That's just absurd. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the fact that artists are some of the people who
1: have the least amount of money in the entire arts industry. Why would you charge artists for anything? Because they're the ones that are actually making the products that everybody else is making money off of.
0: Yeah, but what does happen more, not commonly, but... There are a lot of galleries that might say, oh, I can give you a smaller galleries or project spaces even. And they might say, I'm more than happy showing your work, but I I don't have funding. So can you transport the works here? Can you get the works here? And by itself, that's already stop so much interchange to happen and i'm mentioning this because when we were speaking before about how the international the art world is well it is but at the the same time i know a a lot of talented artists that i met when i was in san diego that i would love to show here in berlin but there is a huge impediment because of transport costs
1: oh my god but not even just that customs trying to get through customs yeah holy crap i one time i had an exhibition in cuba Mm -hmm before Cuba became open. So this is 20 years ago when it was still very closed. My artwork went to Cuba and then, and then the artwork came back. No problems. Customs didn't have an issue with it for the next 10 years, every year at the same time of year, I would get a 30 page document from the federal, whatever of customs, basically questioning me about my trip to Cuba.
0: Well, and mm-hmm. I'm like,
1: I didn't go to Cuba. My artwork went to Cuba I didn't go to Cuba, but they did this for like 10 years. I had to fill out the exact same paperwork for 10 years, 10 <laughs> every year. And I'm just like, and I'm always answering like, I didn't go to Cuba. My artwork went and came back because they just saw the card for the exhibition and they just wrote all our names down. And like, this yeah. is so stupid. Yes, customs is a bitch I mean I've I've had art like as a photographer I've shipped artwork from outside the United States into the United States and customs wouldn't let it through to the point that they destroyed it
0: oh my god don't even say that. I have a show open in November with works coming from Brazil. so... Well, no, <laughs> yeah, I, I think Europe's different. Uh,
1: but, but I'm saying it was trying. It was from the United Arab Emirates going to the United States mm-hmm. and trying to get into the United States. Okay, yeah. It that's... got caught in customs and stayed there for three months. It got to the point where. I ended up, it was easier and cheaper for me to just buy a plane ticket and put my artwork in my luggage and fly there and then do the exhibition and then put it back in my luggage and fly back. And I did all that for less money than the amount of money customs tried to charge me.
0: Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Yeah, There are some artists that it's easier to just travel and do the work where the gallery but is. But that
1: system is ridiculous. <laughs> like the fact that that had to happen is just insane. But that's neither yeah day, but also
0: know. authorities they think that the art world is you know everything is in the high level everything is with a lot of money when Well, and, ev-
1: and everything is an antique that's being smuggled and, and a forgery and a whatever and it's like ugh.
0: when we are talking about you know inviting people to come to your studio do studio visits this is how everything starts because I do a lot of stu- I would say I try to see every artist that invites me for a studio visit. Wow.
1: Even if their work looks like absolute crap, you still But what still is visit? crap
0: work? You know, that's also so <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally subjective. Exactly. I know this.
0: And and I cannot I'm not in a position where I can afford to not like a work in a way. I see that I have to be I try to be as open as possible because the moment that you think that you figured everything out that's the moment when you are stuck in a box and and then everything that is not fitting on the concepts that you have will be a bad work well but it's also possible
1: like a lot of artists I find the works that they submit to whatever or put out into the world are, are are quite honestly actually not their best works. Like sometimes they actually have better work or more interesting work or more more interesting potential works uh, that they're doing in their studio that they either don't or haven't presented to the world. So sometimes the artist makes the wrong decision basically in their own editing process, mm-hmm. and the one the ones that they put out for people to see are quite honestly not their best because we're very emotionally attached to them so we have our, our you know we're very engaged in our work we, we feel like this is our best but in reality like it's not our job necessarily to know that that's your job to know
0: yeah yeah or sometimes you want to bounce some ideas about the work or ideas about series that you have you have to develop there just talking to someone helps you know just sitting with someone and showing the work and talking about it, it can help a lot
1: see i feel like I, i'm an artist and i feel like if i invited a curator over that i'm more or less like i feel like i'm wasting their time like i mean you you should be t- paid for your time and energy and money and or time and energy and i feel like i'm wasting your time like bringing you over to my studio because i'm not paying you to be there
0: no no but you're inviting them as a thinker i think it's a big compliment to say to someone that oh, i would love to know your opinion and you're not asking you're just asking for Two hours of their time.
1: Well, I, I get people asking me that kind of stuff all the time, but I don't. Ha- I can't give them all my time. I mean, I, I do have to earn a living. My wife, we no, have money. Of,
0: of course, of course. I'm just saying that you can try. I'm not saying that they should, they have to give you that time. But is it, I think if you ask for a gallerist, represent me, or give me one hour of your day to come to my studio, I would love you to see my. You know, I would love to talk to you about my work they are more... I think that they'll be more willing to give you an hour of their time. Especially if you're someone that showed appreciation and showed, oh, you know, I really like how you see the work by A, B, and C. Again,
1: yeah, research, research, research. Like, don't just scattershot ask anybody who has the name curator on their name or gallerist, you know, gallery behind their company name. Like, target your your thing to fewer people who actually... Are relevant to whatever you're doing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And again, just like dating. So if you're if you're dating someone, you want to find out maybe what do they do for a living and learn a little bit about that. <laughs> cyber
1: stalk them a little bit before going out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just how how you do it. It's not. It cannot only be about you. And once people love compliments and people love to be right. So if you tell them that, oh, you are such and and then it's also you know it's not about faking it you truly have to believe that they what they are doing is good and that you really truly uh value their opinion um and take their opinion so if you get the galleries there and he tells you oh this series i i respond to this series do more work on that series and then go back to them after a couple of months and say, so remember, I did more work about that series and maybe that builds up to a relationship.
1: Which actually lends to an interesting question because this has come up in, in my career, but but I'm also hearing it in the podcast a lot. There seems to be a a it's a vocabulary th- word, but it's also a, a, a thought pattern here, which is commercial work versus fine artwork. I'm not sure what the what the opposite was, but the, the term like commercial work or commercial gallery seems to be almost a bad word. It, it, it's basically like a gallery or an artist who is focused on selling versus focused on building careers and being a professional you know uh, getting into institutions and and these kinds of things. Like it do you know do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny because I find fine art a worse word than commercial. Okay. Because fine art is just putting this pedestal of, oh, it's fine art. It's art, period. But, but we all love
1: being on a pedestal. Uh, well,
0: <laughs> pedestals are overestimated. Uh, so, I personally, I don't like the word fine art. Okay, fair I enough. I think it's art. is contemporary art. Um, I prefer talking about works in that sense. I don't... Yeah, commercial, I wouldn't use very often Hmm. i would use commercial gallery but not as a bad term i would i use it as this is a gallery is a gallery is a gallery is a commercial gallery it's not a gallery as public funded it's not a project space it's not a museum Mm -hmm. it is a commercial gallery so they are
1: right because like in my mind growing up when i heard the word commercial gallery it meant a gallery that sold artwork so like they sell a, a non-commercial gallery would be a gallery that basically doesn't sell very much, <laughs> like a project space or a nonprofit or an NGO or anything like this. Like, that's a non-commercial gallery to me. Ah, okay. Okay, but, that's but funny. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it's, it's literally like a little nuance of, of vocabulary, mm-hmm. like, kind of thing. Like, commercial gallery simply means they actually sell their artists' art.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, for me, commercial gallery but that's, but that's is a right. gallery that is ready to sell the work.
1: Well, the, and, the, and they're more focused on that, like that. They're they're more sort of just churning through selling art versus putting on amazing exhibitions that may never sell a single piece. Like
0: no, I would. I think as long as it is private funded and it is ready to sell, if they, if they are showing work that is not particularly domestic. Uh, they are still a commercial gallery. Okay, okay. Uh, so, cool. for example, Victoria Miro in London, they are known for selling mostly to institutions. But they are a commercial gallery.
1: Right, because they're still selling. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Or, for example, Marlborough Gallery, the last time I was in the, their Chelsea space, they had our artwork that was a smell. And there was a smell of money. Um, mm, mean. But that was to be sold. You know, you could buy an edition of that smell. So you smell like money. Yes, which is still commercial. Is a commercial gallery. Interesting. In contrast with Serpentine Gallery, you know, which is public funded, non-commercial, fully you cannot buy the works, uh, but it's not a museum. It mm-hmm. is a smaller space where you can show art.
1: Okay, along that line, I, years ago, again, like I'm always comparing, like when I was being trained in the arts versus what's going on now, because that's the thing that I don't understand what what's changed. Years ago, what. And even up until I started this podcast, curators, I put on this very high pedestal. They sat in their ivory tower. They were in, in like, you, you couldn't, you don't question them. They are the absolute pinnacle of the, the, the arts industry because they were the ones that decided who got into galleries. They were the ones who decided who got into museums. Like, these were the, the gatekeepers of the, 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 the magical kingdom for mm-hmm. artists. Yes. Now... Recently, I've heard that there's a trend that commercial galleries, so we'll use your vocabulary on this, commercial galleries are hiring curators to curate the exhibitions and offering them percentage of sales instead of a salary or a stipend or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that true? Oh, that can happen. There's a way of being... But see, to me, that taints the purity of the
1: curator. Because now the curator is focused on, well, I'm going to choose to exhibit these pieces because I believe they'll sell better rather than they're the best work by the artist.
0: No, because then it's only, I think it depends more on the gallery, because maybe the gallery gives you enough freedom that you can do whatever you want to do, and they are actually what they might be looking for. I think that the commercial gallery, it is a great space to experiment with new work or bringing up projects that may be uh, and of course again we are talking about the very high end of the market because if you are a small gallery hiring a creator or not doesn't make a big impact right but for a bigger gallery when they decide to engage with a with a creator they are trying they're gonna probably bring artists that might have had shows in biennials or big project or big museums even mm-hmm. but then the gallery becomes a space for experimentation. So for example, um, it's not a curated show, but the Ai Weiwei exhibition that just opened here, Mm. there are wonderful pieces, but and some of them are quite small. And it's the kind of work that if it is in a museum, you might overlooked or you might have one of that series while in the gallery, you have that new body of work all uh, laying down in front of you. Mm. So they have about five or six pieces. And moving forward we might see them in institutions, but we're gonna see maybe one, two, not of the six of them. Right. So the way that the gallery the commercial gallery the commercial gallery becomes then a space for a new body of work to be shown in a very unique way. And for for viewers, it lets you get really close to the artwork as well. It's something that you wouldn't be able to in a museum. Right, but
1: my question really is about the being paid a flat fee as a curator so that therefore it's not about it's not about the selling so that's that's the part that but but, to me it's the same because even
0: if it is a flat fee the flat fee still is the calculation that the guy is going to do based on the projections of the sales
1: right what happens if you do curatorial work and there are no sales but you took a percentage
0: yeah, then you're not gonna make any money.
1: Yeah, I mean, but but the, I find that again, it's it, again, it's the point of like, I feel like the high, higher powers in the arts, the people with all the money and the power, are sort of abusing the people at lower levels. <laughs> you know, like, like well,
0: yeah, but but you, it would be the same as if we think about if we think about museums in because it's not to me, it's not that dissimilar if we think about a a museum in the US where you have their their curators and then you have a new big patron that asks, oh, can you please come with me to freeze? You're not gonna say no. And then suddenly you became our consultant because you are helping that potential patron to see what kind of work they wanna buy Hmm. and help them through that process. And then once they become part of the patronage of that museum, you will, I mean, I can imagine that as a curator, you will be observing what kind of art your patrons are collecting.
1: I was going to say, it sounds like this job of an art consulta- consultant, right? Yeah. yeah. Art consultant and curator are almost overlapping
0: a lot. Um, or potentially. Well, in my I mean, career, If you choose they, to, yeah, if you well,
1: choose to let them overlap, they overlap easily.
0: Definitely. Well... For me, yes, and that was the path that I decided to take Mm. because they do overlap, and also the knowledge that you gain from one, it helps you with the other. Right. As our consultant, you're not tied to one gallery. So before, especially like the 80s, the 90s, the, the collectors, they would rely a lot on the galleries to be educated. But now there's such a massive number of galleries that you could be educated from, that you might also want to keep your op- your options open. So, well, see,
1: in the old days, the the theory was that a curator, like the pinnacle of a career of a curator, was to work for an institution, a museum, let's say. So, like that's what they did. But if they did that, they sort of couldn't do art consultancy because it was kind of a conflict of interest.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, so being a freelancer like you are allows for this overlap to really occur, and and actually seems like a an obvious thing to do as a, as a freelancer in order to sort of have these side hustles to, that, that each of them lend to the the intention of what you're trying to achieve. So like being an art consultant is is opening certain doors and, and allowing for certain things to happen in your career and c- being a curator are opening certain doors and allowing for certain things to happen and both doing both of them simultaneously are almost, it sounds like almost doing like exponentially more for you.
0: Definitely, yeah. And then I can do all the things that I want to do, which is dealing with artworks uh, that I find interesting and people who are passionate about the collections, but also discovering young artists that I believe in and working with them and doing studio visits and creating a, a relationship. So, yeah, yeah, for me, it really works because I can do both. For, for the creator, the idea of the creator, the independent creator, really, um, it is a new model of sorts and it is challenging because it's not so easy to to find venues that agree with what you want to do and putting the works together
1: which actually lends to a question like so you're basically you're a freelancer I'm using air quotes for this freelancer do you like do you have to bid for for exhibitions like I mean literally like do you do a proposal and then theoretically some other curator also puts in a proposal and you all are like getting into like a bidding war for who can do it for cheaper and this kind of stuff like is this something that
0: happens i never been on a beating war with other curators and i hope i'll never be because uh, well, well, it
1: happens in other careers i mean like i'm again i'm a photographer and and i would i've gotten jobs where like i offered to do it i said oh this will be my price for it and then they would say oh well this other photographer will do it for this price and then i had to adjust my price to yeah, you know. so i'm wondering does that happen in the curatorial mm,
0: no not that i'm aware of good because in that way it's a lot of, like it's like for artists, you know, it's not like oh, so you want to offer your work for eight, but we have this other artist that is just like you and offers for six. Like, no, it cannot be the same. That's impossible. For curator proposals, the same. What does happen is you might want to need to submit a proposal, and and maybe because English is not my mother tongue, I do find writing a good way to put out my ideas in a very controlled and clear way you're
1: very eloquent you shouldn't be concerned (laughs) you're you're doing beautifully uh
0: thank you thank you uh but uh, i do like the writing so i always write proposals and even for galleries or project spaces that had been that have been invited to i would still write a proposal and say this is what you're expecting from it that you're happy with this but answering your question not beating wars but proposals open calls, and in that way it's not that different from from artists
1: right so you so you and and this is something i i find fascinating so you will sit back and there'll be an open call for curatorial things and you'll sit back and you you'll say okay well i'm gonna propose an exhibition for this space mm-hmm. where do you even start to figure out what to propose
0: okay um usually i think about about the space. So the exhibition needs to be a response to the space, uh, to the city, and to some kind of idea that is around us now. And why is that important? Why that exhibition now? Why this works at this given moment? So that's usually what I go for. So for example, the, the last show that I created in San Diego, what's called Parallel Screens, and it was somehow a response to the way that we consume moving image in our everyday lives that have been shifted from television, which is very passive, to a, almost an active way through YouTube, Netflix. Uh, we can control the way that we consume content, and it's always a one single channel. Mm-hmm. So we can is I find fascinating how we can maybe go on YouTube and just skip from one video to another every five seconds and at the same time the same person we sit and binge watch a TV show for 10 hours i find that fascinating
1: my wife does the skipping between videos and i'm the binge watcher <laughs> yeah
0: and and it always depends on the con but we do have a lot of control and then when we think about the black box in the gallery is the opposite we you have no control you don't even know how long it is you don't you don't know if you're in the beginning or the end of it and i i wanted to do something that sort of um, it has a connection with those ideas. And the show was two screens, one in front of the other, two hours of content. And every before every piece, you have, and always the same artist. And before every piece, you know the duration, the title. So in a way, it's easier to navigate mm-hmm. and you make a decision of, can I stay for the two hours? Or Am I do willing I want... to?
1: <laughs> yeah. Are the chairs comfortable? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, but anyway, it was, a response to these ideas.
1: Okay. So when you're coming up with a proposal, so because I mean, these are the kinds of questions like as an artist, I'm fascinated by like, how do curators do this? Because like, how can I basically get myself involved in it in some way i.e., exhibiting? But do you start with, um, it sounds like in that case you started with the medium like you sort of knew you were working with moving images from the get-go on that but in general for uh, for your exhibitions do you what do you do you start with a, a concept do you start with a, a technicality like a, me, a medium or a, a method of expression um, like what are the first thing you think about second thing you think about third thing you think about like does it have an order does it is it no
0: it doesn't really it doesn't really i keep
1: looking for a system to the art world and i and i keep getting told that there's no system
0: (laughs) there's no system there's some questions that you need to answer which is why now why here why with these people and what is the connection but uh yeah and again the the creator i see as a facilitator so you have to create some kind of narrative, not narrative, but connections with the works that sometimes is a very clear one. And that clear connection can become an entrance point for the visitors to get into the show mm. to something that is a little bit more loose on the theme. Because um, also as well, I can, um, one of my first surprises as a creator was that I was reading texts and philosophers and I was looking at work and I was like, oh my God, this is so much has to do with these ideas by... I don't know this feminist uh, writer Rebecca Sonnet, and the artist would be like, "Oh, I never heard about her," and yeah. you know, and then you're like, sort "I, I of,
1: get that all the time." People are constantly like, "Oh, this looks like blah blah blah," and I'm like, "Nope, never heard of that."
0: Yeah, and and as a creator, then okay, so how do I create a narrative that is that in a way the artist is not not even the artist is familiar with, mm. but there is no like set starting point
1: darn it okay it's my virgo in me i want a system i want it organized and mm-hmm. it's not
0: what works for me is proposed that are 500 words i think maybe that's a, I, I, <laughs> that's a good like, tip okay how do you get that because i think 500 words is a one pager hmm. you know and one pager people will read it <laughs> okay it is. well actually which leads to so we're going
1: to wrap this up because i'm sure you've got other things to yep. do and i've got a train to get to what kind of a sort of advice through your own potentially like what I keep it's funny I keep asking people like give me give me some advice from either a, a positive experience you had some something that you feel like people don't understand or don't know that maybe you could sort of shed some light on or some negative experience that you had that you could be like stay away from this don't do that you know whatever kind of thing for whoever so this could be for cura- potential curators existing curators artists whatever how you know whatever kind of experience you have because the idea of this whole podcast is, is learning from your experiences
0: mm-hmm. well i think that is very important it's very difficult to just be honest if something's not working verbalize before it becomes a problem you don't have to agree with everything um but you have to be transparent i think the more transparent you can be the better it is because in the art world as well there's a lot of relationships but then you don't want to make do a favor or make something expecting something out of it if it have not been verbalized so if you invite for example a creator to come to your studio because he's there it doesn't mean that he will create a show and include you in it but that means that he gave the first step towards maybe a relationship, and you have to nurture that. So if you ask for a creator, I, I have been in situations where, you know, I had a studio visit, I gave feedback. It wasn't it was a very harsh feedback, and to this day the the artist is, oh, when are you coming back to my studio? And I think, well, when you bloody make different work, you know, when you listen to the things that I told you. Right. Um, so if you is that old thing of if you ask for some ad- advice. Be ready to take it. Otherwise, don't go through the trouble.
1: Excellent advice. Love it. All right. Last question. Have you ever listened to the podcast yet? The, yes, whole pod- yes. the whole podcast? So you know the last so, question. No,
0: no. I don't know. The, I never heard the whole thing. Okay. They're, they're long. I, don't, I know. The, uh... I understand. It's fine. I don't take offense. <laughs> the
1: final question I ask everybody, because the idea of the podcast is learning how the contemporary art world works, mm-hmm. I t- decided to come up with a, quantifiable result that I'm trying to achieve through the learning experiences that I'm having through these conversations. Okay. So that quantifiable outcome is that I'm asking everybody for advice on what I can do. So this is literally me as the proxy for everybody that's listening, but I'm going, I will do this and whatever you're about to tell me, I will actually do it. And I will keep include it in the podcast with complete transparency. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, embarrassment for me doesn't matter. I, w- you know, everybody will be involved in it. I want your adv- assist- or your advice on a step that I can do to get a piece of my artwork on exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York
0: City. Oh wow! Okay, to get in MoMA. You could
1: easily equate it to Tate Modern or any, any other okay, large okay, institution yeah. is the idea. So like a f- good, you know, top tier institutional museum. Just on exhibition, I don't need to be in the collection, just one piece. Okay. So I'm not being selfish. I'm not saying solo show. I'm not saying no. anything like that. So well, one piece have... on exhibition.
0: Well, you need to get yourself into a collection by one of their patrons
1: excellent that is something nobody has said yet
0: and get the newest one the youngest one (laughs) you know get the that's
1: excellent advice nobody had thought to go down that path yet so that's good
0: cool i like that i hope that (laughs) the patrons are not going to be angry at me but but yeah yeah because they are collectors so if you get one of those collections is a good it's good to have someone inside that knows who you are Sexy.
1: yeah I mean everybody comes at it from a different angle so like that's a really that's a unique angle that I had not heard yet good love it thank you very much for your time
0: welcome my pleasure